0: Last week I preached a message that made some of you want to shout. So I get to preach one that won't make you shout too much today. I want to talk to you this morning about the reality of hell. As far as I'm concerned, there's not enough of it being preached. There's not enough about the blood being preached. There's not enough about heaven being preached. But if we're going to have a balanced gospel, if we're going to stay in the middle of the road, we've got to preach the whole word. Amen? Amen. And whether people like it or it makes them uncomfortable or not, it still has to be preached. It's in the Bible. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to preach on hell. We're going to preach on the blood. We're going to preach on heaven. And we're going to learn some things this morning. Because we're getting to the place where hell is just a funny word to us anymore. I mean, we use it all the time. We tell people to go there and we say to hell with this and to hell with that and, you know, it just cheapens the word, but hell has a a profound meaning to it. It's a real place. It's not just something that's fictional in our minds. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, we're going to learn some things about hell and then we're going to learn about how you get there and who's going there. In Luke 16 and 19, I'm going to read in the King James Version. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, linen, which represents royalty, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and designed to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This is called by most Bible scholars, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But I believe it's a narrative about something that actually happened because Jesus said a certain rich man, a certain beggar. And then he personalized it further and give us the name of that beggar. He said his name was Lazarus. Usually Jesus said, suppose there was a rich man or suppose there was a poor man and so on, so on, so forth but he personalized this. So I believe it's an actual account of a rich man whom he didn't name and a beggar by the name of Lazarus. And the first thing I want us to notice is that Jesus said they both died. He said, Lazarus was carried to Abraham's bosom and the rich man went to hell. But it also said they were buried. So how could that be? Well, their bodies were buried. Their spirits went to two different places. Lazarus Spirit went to Abraham's bosom and the rich man's spirit went to hell. Abraham was in a place called paradise. It was a place for departed spirits that died believing in the coming of a Messiah, they believed the word of God and they believed the promise that a Messiah was coming. And if you died like that, you went to this place called paradise and that was also called Abraham's bosom. In other words, it was a place of acceptance and a place of comfort for the departed spirits that died believing that a Messiah was going to one day come and, and set him free. The other place was hell. And hell, obviously, is not a place of comfort. As a matter of fact, our story tells us it's a place of torment, and there are real flames there. Remember, the rich man cried for mercy, and it says, And in hell the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So paradise must have been located... Above hell, because it says that the the rich man had to lift his eyes to see Lazarus. In other words, he had to look up. But the rich man could see Lazarus being comforted while he was being tormented in the flames. And so the rich man must have been a Jew because he addressed Abraham as father Abraham. And Abraham addressed him as son. So what does this mean? This means that he was a covenant partner with the Jewish race. He had a covenant with God, but he was not a practicing believer. He died without God in his life or God in his heart, and that's why he wound up in hell. He could have went to paradise because that was a promise for the Jews, but he didn't. And he says, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Another thing I want you to notice is the consciousness that both men had. They were fully conscious. They had all their faculties. They had their five senses. They could speak. They could hear. They could smell. They could feel. They could uh, see and recognize others, and they could remember things. And the rich man saw Lazarus and Abraham, and he recognized him. He spoke to him. And he tried to reason with Abraham. He felt the flames of hell, and he was thirsty. So you don't just float around as a spirit with no feelings or anything like that. You have feelings. And besides that, we're going to be resurrected with a body someday, the wicked and the righteous, the unrighteous and the righteous. And, and, you know, we're going to get a body at the rapture. And when that happens, we'll be connected with our glorified body and we'll be in that body forever and it's the same thing with the second resurrection after the thousand year reign and those that are bound for hell and they stand before the white throne judgment they're not going to hell as a spirit they're going to be given a resurrected body too but it's going to be a body that they can go into hell with and so you're going to be very conscious of everything you're going to feel everything that goes on in hell and as you know, when you die, you die, your spirit departs from your body, and with it your soul, which consists of your five senses, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So uh, you just don't go to heaven a mindless being of some kind, a mindless spirit. Everything that you learn here on the earth, you will remember. Everything that, every emotion you ever had on earth, you will have when you, when you depart this body. It goes with you. And so your spirit will go to one of two places. Back in that time, you went to either paradise, if you, if you believed in God and the, the coming of a Messiah, or you went to hell. Today, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. So paradise was moved from uh, the, somewhere in the earth up to heaven. See, there was no salvation at their time, and they couldn't go to heaven. But once Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice... And it was accepted by God. He rose from the dead. The Bible says that he preached to the departed spirits. And and it says that he led captivity captive. And so that means that he took them and led them to heaven. Everyone in paradise. He moved paradise into heaven. And paradise is in heaven to this day. And some religions, I'm just going to say the Catholic religion, because I spent years in the Catholic faith, they believe... Uh, in a place that is between heaven and earth, it's called purgatory, and and they believe that you can go to purgatory and you can uh, pay retribution for your sins because nobody's clean enough to go to heaven, and so you go to purgatory for a period of time and you pay the debt of sin that you had. And everybody's is different; it depends on what kind of sins you had, uh, what your uh, length of time in purgatory would be. But once your, your soul was cleansed, then you would graduate and go to heaven. Hallelujah. I mean, there's a lot of people who would like to go to purgatory and have a second chance. But trust me, there's no purgatory anywhere in the Bible. You can search it from cover to cover. You will not find any purgatory. It's a concept that the popes came up with a long time ago to tickle the ears of the people that didn't want to change their lives and and live for Jesus. See, there's a heaven, there's a hell, and there's nothing in between except a big old gulf, a big old chasm. The Bible teaches about heaven and hell in vivid detail, but there's no teaching. I say no teaching on purgatory, so get that out of your head right now. I don't want you to think you're going to get a second chance after this life because there is no second chance. You've got to make it in this life. You've got to get saved in this life. No retribution. None. So the only thing between heaven and hell is this great impassable gulf or chasm, a gulf that could not be crossed by either Abraham or Lazarus or by the rich man. And that tells us that there's no way out, that the rich man's hell and Lazarus' paradise is permanent. And the only, thing, the only difference is, is that paradise got moved to heaven with everybody in it. Nobody was added to it. They moved it just the way they were. And one day hell is going to be moved into the lake of fire. But all its residents are going with it. And hell is a place of great regret. The Bible says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? That mean and this, this word weeping here isn't like, <laughs> this is a wailing. This is defined in the, in the Greek as a wailing. I mean a really sorrowful cry, a really sorrowful uh, expression of grief. And it says there'll be gnashing of teeth. Why? Maybe because of the pain, but also because everyone that's weeping and gnashing their teeth had an opportunity to get saved, had an opportunity to get born again. And they're going to remember that opportunity and they're going to realize that it's too late now. And it's going to bring great regret. The rich man begged Abraham to send Lazarus to his father's house to witness to his father and five brothers. Apparently they didn't believe either. They were Jews just like him, but they didn't have God in their heart. They didn't have God in their lives. They didn't believe the preaching by the prophets of a Messiah that was going to come one day and set them free. He said, Tell them of this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers listen to them. In other words, they should read their Bibles and do what it says. Uh, and, uh, and the prophets wrote about hell. Isaiah was very vivid about his description of hell. They just didn't believe it. But the rich men said, Nay, they won't do it. But if one rose from the dead, they'll listen to him. And Abraham said, If they won't hear Moses and the prophet, neither will they be persuaded, though one has rose from the dead. And that has proven to be an accurate statement because if they won't believe what's in their Bible, if they won't believe the prophets, if they won't believe what pastors Mike and Brendan, and but Brother Daryl have preached or the television evangelists that they listen to, if they won't believe them, they're not going to believe one that came back from the dead. You see, we have one that rose from the dead. And he's been being preached for over 2,000 years. And there's still a lot of people that don't believe it. So they won't listen to someone that came back from the dead. And unfortunately, there's some people that are just bound for hell because they won't listen to anyone. And the Bible describes him as somebody being stiff-necked and rebellious, and it says there's no remedy for him. Why? Because he's unteachable. He won't listen to the Word. He won't listen to the preaching. So there's nothing that they can do for him. And that's bad in itself, but I would hate to see someone to go to hell that would have listened, but you didn't tell him. They would have listened, but you didn't preach it to them. You didn't tell them about that dead person that rose from the dead. (laughs) I was preaching real good till now, huh? See, people want to believe in something. That's why you got all these crazy religions in in this world, all the crazy cults and all the things that people will believe. They want to believe in something, but it, uh, and they will believe a lie if that's all they have to believe in. And it's our job to tell them the truth. It's our job to point them to Jesus. He's the only truth. And if we don't do it, they'll, they'll believe a lie, and they'll be deceived by the devil, and they'll go to hell for it. Amen. And there's religions that say there is no hell. I'm going to get bold again and just tell you. I know the Jehovah Witnesses for a fact. that Right, Brother Rick? They don't believe in hell. And that's comforting for somebody that's probably going to go there. I'd like to believe there's no hell so I can live any way I want to. And, and so they don't believe in the hell. But I'd hate to be someone that listened to them and then died and opened my eyes in hell like the rich man did. It's too late then. See, hell's not a place where anybody wants to go. I know I don't want to go there. And, and I've heard people say in jest that they're going to go to hell because That's where all their friends are going. And we're going to have one big party in hell. But I got news for you. It's not going to be a party. They say, yeah, but you can drink in hell. You can take drugs. You can smoke. You can even have orgies uh, because there's no rules in hell. We can live any way we want. And the only thing you will do in hell is you will smoke, but not the way you think. See, some religions, like the Jehovah Witnesses, believe that there is no hell. But they can't seem to grasp the idea that the good Lord would never send someone to hell. God loves us too much. He's too merciful. He's too loving to send anybody to hell. And that's true. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He doesn't want to send anybody to hell. But let me tell you something. In the 25th chapter Matthew, it talks about the day of judgment where God is going to separate the goats from the sheep. And the goats represent the unrighteous, and the sheep represent the righteous. Those that died righteously, those that died unrighteously. And then in verse 20, in, in Matthew 25, verse 41, it says, Right after God separates the unrighteous from the righteous, then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See, God didn't prepare hell for us. He prepared it for the devil and his followers. And the world and the politicians have people separated into all kinds of categories. Race, creed, national origin, color, sex, lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender and those who don't know who or what they are they separate them into religion denomination big small rich poor powerful weak and the list goes on and on but i'm here to tell you this morning that god only recognizes two people saved or lost righteous or unrighteous that's it he don't care about none of that other stuff there's only two gangs in the world god's gang and the devil's gang Two teams, and you're going to be in one of them, one or the other. The save gang and the lost gang. There's two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Jesus is the leader of the saved gang, and the devil is the leader of the lost gang. And you can think what you want, say what you want, you can believe what you want. But come Judgment Day, God is only concerned with two people. You're saved or you're lost. He could give a flying flip about all that other stuff. He don't care. He don't care your color, your creed, your size. He don't care about none of that stuff. All he cares about, are you saved or are you lost? Because that's how he's going to separate them. He didn't separate them by color. He didn't separate them by national origin. He didn't separate them by religion, the Baptists here, the Catholics here. He didn't separate them by anything except righteous and unrighteous. Hell was not prepared for you. It was prepared for the devil and his followers. Heaven was prepared for you with all its majesty and its splendor. So what's the answer to the question? Would a loving God send someone to hell? And the answer is no. You send yourself to hell by joining up with the wrong gang. If you reject Jesus and decide to do the things the devil does, then you choose hell. You want to run with the devil and be one of his followers? Then you're going to go with him to where he is going, and that's hell. The Bible is clear about that. Him and all his followers. Hell was prepared for them. It wasn't prepared for us. But if you want to follow him there, you can go. See, we can't run with the devil, live any way we want to, and then uh, when we die, I think we could change games. It don't work like that you got to change gangs here. And hopefully all you all have changed gangs or you wouldn't be here this morning. But I have to be honest. There's people in churches this morning that will go to hell. And that's why we're here, to keep that from happening to anybody. And we'll do everything we can to keep you from going to hell. That's why we teach the Word the way that we do. That's why I'm teaching on hell this morning. I want you to know it's real. It's not a fantasy in somebody's mind. Jesus did more teaching on hell and finances than he did about salvation or anything else. So it must be an important subject. Don't shout me down. I know I'm preaching good. You ready to learn some more about hell? Jesus said plenty about it because he doesn't want anyone to go there. It's not his will that any should perish, Peter said, but that all should come repentant, come to repentance. In Revelation 20 and 10, it says, and Jesus again is talking about the end times. He did a lot of that. And he said this about, the, about hell. He said, then the devil who had deceived them, how many knows you won't go to hell unless you're deceived? You can't go to hell if you believe the truth and you're not deceived. But those that are deceived. So the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's the lake of fire. That's, you know, hell is a, is a jailhouse and the, the lake of fire is a penitentiary. You know, when you're in, going through a trial and you're going to court, they keep you in a jailhouse, a county jail. But if you get sentenced to life in prison or something, then you're transferred to the penitentiary. And it says here that he was thrown into into the burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. So there's going to be a beast and a false prophet there. There's going to be an antichrist there. There's going to be all the devil's fallen angels there. And I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to be ticked off. And it says here that there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Where did the devil in this game go? For how long? Forever and ever. You know forever is a long time. But when God adds another and ever, that's a real long time. It's like you get sentenced in court, now I'm an expert. I could be a lawyer from all the law and order I watch. But if you get sentenced 25 years with good behavior, you can be out in eight and a quarter with, with good behavior and, and a good report. And you go before the parole board and they feel like you've been redeemed. They'll, they'll let you go in eight and, a, eight and a quarter, eight and a half years. But if the judge says 25 in a day, you will, save, you will serve every bit of that 25 years. That's how it is forever and ever. You're going to serve the whole time, all eternity, no reprieve. Now let's look at who is going to hell. And you might be surprised at some of this that we're about to read. Let's finish what we started in Matthew 25. He said, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you curse into the everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in naked, you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it for me or to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So hell is forever and ever. Punishment lasts forever. And who's going to hell? People that don't care about anyone but themselves. People that don't have compassion on anyone. They're going to hell. See, when you have an encounter with the Savior that I had an encounter with, then the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, Paul tells us. And he gives you love and concern for the well-being of other people. Yeah. And if all you're concerned about is me, myself, and I, and, 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 the, and all you say is, all you're concerned with is my house, my money, my family, my car, my jewelry, my clothes, my this, my that, then you can't have the God that I have in my heart. You can't have him in your heart. Because that's the first thing he does is, does is put some love in your heart for other people, not just yourself. Yes, he says we have to love ourselves, but we are—we're supposed to love others, have compassion for others, help others, do something for others. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! You got to have compassion for those that aren't as fortunate as you. Amen. Amen. And if you can't have that in your heart, then I don't know if you have Jesus in your heart. Because you have to have have compassion on the things that he has compassion for. And if you don't, you might need another dip in the Holy Ghost because he done wore off of you. Maybe you need to be filled again. Because he done leaked out. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need to really examine our hearts. Do we have God's heart? Because that's what he put into us. When we got born again, he gave us, took out the nature of the devil. This is when we changed games. He took out the nature of our old leader, the devil, and he put in the nature of our new leader, which is God. And that nature is a love nature. The Bible don't say God loves. The Bible says God is love. So you got to have that love in your heart. I mean, when he comes into your heart, he pushes out selfishness. Amen. He pushes out self centeredness and he gives you love and he gives you compassion for other people. That's right. If you see a brother fall on hard times, you should be compassionate. You should at least feel something for him. Because it grieves God when that happens. And that's why I can't understand how, and I'm not going to get political, but I got to say this (coughs) I can't understand for the life of me how people who call themselves Christians can vote for or support anyone or anything that Jesus is opposed to. That's right. I mean, we should oppose the things that Jesus opposes and support only the things that Jesus supports. Yes. I mean, yeah. let's see who else is going to hell. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Who else is going to hell? Those who don't know God or those that claim they know God and don't and those who don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all kinds of people say they have a relationship with God. And since you're mad at me anyway, I'm just going to say this. There should be some kind of evidence in your life. If you say you know God, if you say Jesus is living in your heart, then there should be some outward evidence to point to the fact that you're born again and that you love the Lord. And bumper stickers don't count. Cross necklaces don't count. Facebook's posts don't count. What would Jesus do? T-shirts don't count. Going to church doesn't even count. Hell's going to be full of people that go to church. The only evidence that counts is a truly changed life. Because if Jesus really came into your heart, you had a change of life, a change of attitude. And there's all kinds of religious people who think they... They know God. And it's like Jeremiah said, God's on their lips, but their hearts are far from him. So who's going to hell so far? Those who don't care, those who don't know God, and those that don't obey the gospel. Could that include the church? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It pains me to read this. It pains me to reveal this truth to you. I wish it wasn't in the Bible, but it is. Paul says to the church at Corinth, and it's some kind of a rebuke because of the behavior they were experiencing. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous, the goats, the ones on the left, will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, Nor sodomites, sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. They can't go into the kingdom of God. They can't inherit the kingdom of God. And what amazes me is how bold and proud and unashamed that sin has come in, in the past years. I mean, what should take your breath away when you hear it just isn't a big deal anymore. You hear someone's a fornicator or somebody's cheating on their wife. Oh, well. When years ago, if I heard that, especially about somebody I knew, I'd go, no way. I'd be shocked, shamed, and humiliated. And today, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. That don't make them right. But sin that used to cause you to gasp doesn't even bother people anymore. Sure, I'm fornicating, but God knows I have needs. And fornicating is sex outside of marriage. Whether you're living together or you're married, it's sex outside of marriage. That's fornicating. Yeah, I cheat on my wife once in a while. Big deal is because she don't meet my needs anymore. That's because you wanted to act like those porn stars you've been watching. Get off the internet. Did I say that out loud, Pastor? You did. I'm a homosexual Christian. So what? God created me that way. First of all, there's no such thing as a homosexual Christian, no more than there is a fornicating Christian or a thieving Christian or a lying Christian you either a Christian or you that other thing. Second, the Bible says, and that's why it pained me to read it. I wish it wasn't there. I wish I could change it, but I can't. The Bible says that you can't inherit the kingdom of God. So you might as well start to rethink all your thoughts and attitudes about sin and change some. Because it's clear the Bible says no one righteous no fornicators, no idolaters, no adulterers, no homosexuals, no sodomites, no thieves, no covetous, no drunkards, no revilers, that's partiers, y'all, and no extortioners. Can't, cannot, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that plain enough? And I promise you, I wish with all my heart this wasn't even in the Bible. I wish God didn't say it. I wish it wasn't true. But it is in the Bible. God did say it and it is true. So I have to preach it. Besides, we don't want you to go to hell. And some people say that this passage isn't referring to Christians. Maybe, maybe not. One thing I know for sure, Paul was certainly talking to the church at Corinth and the church in Louisville. Uh Yeah, but these are things that only unsaved people do. These are things only unsaved people do. They ain't getting it, Pastor, right? Exactly my point. If you're saved, you won't do these things. Paul then rebuked the church at Galatia. He said they weren't trusting in Jesus alone to save them. They had other ways of being saved. They, They had another way to get to heaven. And Paul rebuked them for it. I mean, Buddha was a great leader. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble today, Pastor. There were other great leaders that led people in religious movements. But they died and went to the grave and stayed there. But our Savior... He went to the grave and he got up. That's what makes him different from everybody else. There is no other ways to heaven. The only one that can get you to heaven is the one that sacrificed himself for you. Surely he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The one that hung on the cross for you, took that whipping for you, and then died and was buried and rose from the dead. He's the only one that can get you to heaven. Get that in your head right now. There is no other way to heaven. He is the way. Not a way, the way. And Paul rebuked them and said, you have become estranged from Christ. Don't even tell me you know Christ. And he was talking about because they tried to get justified by the law, by their good works, by another way. And Paul says, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. And, you know, I believe with all my heart, our salvation is sure and secure. I don't think that, you know, uh, your salvation is so wimpy that you're saved one day and lost the next. You did this and it got thrown out and you did that and got put back in. And I don't believe our salvation is like that. I believe our salvation is secure. And I would like to believe once saved, always saved, but I can't. And it's because of this scripture. We can't ignore what Paul said here. There is a danger that we can fall from grace. How are you saved? For by grace are you saved through faith. So if he said we can fall from grace, we can fall from our salvation. I'm not saying how easy it is or how hard it is. And I'd like to say, I'd like to believe that that ain't in the Bible, but it's there. And so that tells me that we can never sin with any degree of safety. Yeah, my salvation is sure. Yeah, I believe I'm saved, but I can't continue doing the things I did when I was unsaved and expect not, a, not some kind of retribution for that. I wish it wasn't in the Bible, but it is. It tells me that we can fall from grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know this ain't a shouting message. But, you know, some of these things, like I said, take your breath away. I like, ah, can't believe that. But everybody in here has done one or more of them. And some of you are still doing one or more of them. Look at your neighbor and say, that includes you. Raise your hand if you ever told a lie. Okay, okay. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you just lied, so you... You ain't in that category no more. But how do we get set free from these things? You know, I can a homosexual go to heaven? Is he saved? Can a bank robber go to heaven? Are they saved? I don't know. Is Their sin any worse than yours? Can you go to heaven with your sin? Depends if you're saved or not. I know it's confusing, but look at 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It has some good news for us here. Still talking about all these sins that can't inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11, he says, And such were some of you. And that's the key word right there. Were. Were. Worse, some of you, that means you ain't doing them no more. If you're doing them, you're in sin, and you can't do that in any degree of safety. And then he says, but, how many like the buts in in God's word? But God, but God. He says, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. When did that happen? When I got born again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for the buts in his word. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. That means a whole lot. That means it's big. I mean, yes, I was guilty. Yes, I did those things. Yes, I was dirty. Yes, I sinned against him. Yes, I deserve hell. But, but he washed me. But he sanctified me. But he justified me. He cleaned up my heart. He cleaned up my mind. He cleaned up my soul. He cleaned up my mouth. He washed me in his precious blood. He set me aside for his use. That's what sanctified means. He sanctified me. He justified me. That means when he looks at me now, it's as though I never did any of those things in his eyes. That's being justified. That means just as if I didn't do any of those things. He don't remember any of those things. Why? Because I've been washed, I've been cleansed, I've been sanctified. It's under the blood. This is good news. It should make you want to shout a lot louder than you're shouting. God delivered us from all those things, praise his name. But if you're really washed, if you're really sanctified, if you're really justified, then why would you want to do any of these things anymore? If you have the Spirit of God in you, and I'm getting ready to wrap this up because I want us to spend some time at the altar. This is a new year. How about a new you? Amen. And without the Spirit of God in you, there's not going to be a new you, I'm going to tell you right now. Amen. But if you have the Spirit of God in you, then when you go to do any of these things, the Holy Ghost will say, uh-uh, no, no, don't do that. Go this way. Don't go that way. Do this. Don't do that. And if you're not hearing that voice anymore, then you need to get it back in you no matter what it takes. That's right. And it's going to take repentance. And It's going to ask for him to come back into your life yes. because like it or not, you are backslidden. If you can't hear his voice, if he doesn't prick your conscience when you're doing something wrong or about to do something wrong, if it doesn't bother you to fornicate or steal or adulterize or homosexualize or any of those other sins that he mentioned here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if that don't bother you anymore, you need another dip. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. This is time for you to get back to God. Today, God yeah. said, is the day of salvation, yeah. not tomorrow, because tomorrow is not promised. That's right. Amen. Yeah. James says, don't go around saying tomorrow I'll do this or tomorrow I'll do that, because tomorrow is not promised to you. That's right. And, I, you know, I try to portray that at every funeral, but it's not just for funeral folks. It's for us. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Today is the day of salvation. Yeah. What you need to get done, do today. Yeah. What you need to say to somebody, say it today. Yeah. What you need to do for somebody, do it today. Yeah. Tomorrow's not promised. Right. Amen. Don't live like you got a long time to live. I, I, I pray we all have a long and prosperous life, but it ain't promised. Right. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. Do it today or, or, or live with regret. You know, you don't have to wait till you get to hell to have weeping and gnashing the teeth. Sometimes it happens right here. Sometimes I know something passed me by and I had a chance. Yes. And I'm telling you, I weep and I gnash my teeth saying, I wish I would have, wish I should have, wish I could have. Yes. But I didn't. Yes. And there's regret with that. That's right. And it happens more times than not with the death of a loved one. Yes. And don't wait. I know I said this a couple times in, since the first of this year, but don't live life with regrets. That's do it right. now. Amen. Don't, you know, well, I, you know, if, what if I tried to uh, say I'm sorry or I tried to make amends with somebody and they turned me down? It's out of your hands then. Right. You did what God told you to do. Yes. It's up to them now. Amen. But don't hold them in captivity with your unforgiveness and your anger and your hatred. And don't let them hold you in captivity either. Amen. Get it out there. Get it out and open. Get it done. Yeah. Say, I'm sorry. I said this and I shouldn't have. Right. Even though it was true, I shouldn't have said it. No. Just say, I'm sorry. I said, if it offended you, I'm sorry. Right. Amen. That's right. Get it behind you. Get it under the blood. And that's what keeps you out of hell. You're not going to be perfect, and you are going to sin until Jesus comes. And I'm not giving you a free ticket or pass to sin. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Uh, but you got to keep that sin under the blood. you got to keep that sensitivity towards the Holy Spirit so that before you sin, he's telling you, uh uh-uh, don't do that. Amen. The Holy Ghost will tell you before, the devil will condemn you afterwards. So if you hear a voice before, that's the Holy Ghost. He's telling you, don't do that. Don't go that way. Get up out of that bed. Get to church. Amen. Amen. That's the Holy Ghost. And if you ain't hearing that voice no more, something needs to be repaired. Amen. 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 So, uh, Brother Joe, if you can play some soft music of some kind. Or even if Judah comes back, I don't care which one. You know, when uh, Isaiah told King Hezekiah, he says, get your affairs in order, God says you're going to die. And you know, I always said this, that if someone tells you you're going to die, that's one thing. But when God tells you to die, you can take it to the bank. He tells you you're going to die, you can take it to the bank. Amen? Amen. So there was no doubt in Isaiah's mind that he was going to die. Yes. And so he, what did he do? He turned his face to the wall. Yes. He shut everybody out all around him. He didn't care what was yes. going on around him, what was going on in the world. He said, God, I need some time with you. Yes. And he, he poured his heart out to God. Yes. And the Bible says God repented. Not that he did anything wrong that he had to repent of. It just means that God changed his mind yes. and gave Hezekiah another 15 years. Yes. And that's what we need to do today is we need to turn our face to the wall, whether it's the chair in front of you or you come up to this altar or you actually go put your face in the wall. It don't make any difference, but you need to turn your face to the wall and it's just you and God and you need to get that thing straightened out. I don't care what it is. It might have been one of those things I mentioned, but whatever it is that stands between you and your relationship with God and the Holy Ghost, you need to get rid of it right now. Amen. amen go ahead brother John. Hallelujah. hallelujah father we come before you right now in the mighty and precious name of jesus the one who gave it all for us lord and god we ask you to examine our hearts each and every one of us lord god as we turn our face to the wall speak to us show us the things in our hearts that is not pleasing to you lord show us where we have turned left when you said to turn right Show us where we went when you told us to stop. Show us, Lord, when we backed up, when you said to go forward. And God, wherever we left you, because we know you never left us, but wherever we left you, we know that it's right there at that place that we have to return. We have to go back to that place where we made a wrong turn. We have to go back to that place when you said no and we said yes. And that's the place we want to go to right now, Lord, in our hearts. Show us some places, Lord. And for the next few minutes, God, speak to our hearts. We repent. Lord, we want to come back to you. If we strayed even a little bit, we want to come back to you, Lord. If we disappointed you just a little bit, we ask your forgiveness, Lord. God, show us the way that you want us to go. Show us your will at this time. And above all, restore us back unto you. Create in us a clean heart and renew within us a right spirit. Thank you, Lord. Shikada do Monde. Hale Bakosondo Baki Go ahead, make your altar. Take your position at the wall. Stoop in your chair. I don't care what you do, it's you and God. It's you and God. If you wanna know where you left God, go back to the place that you last felt him. Go back to the place where you last felt his spirit, where you last felt his presence, where you last felt your joy. That's where you lost it, that's where you left him. And he's right there where you left him. Wait, wait. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're coming back to you, Lord. This is the year of favor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Lord, we don't just want to know of you. We want to know you. We want to know you on a personal basis, on a personal level. We want to have a personal relationship with you. We want to feel your presence in our life. We want to see you working in our lives. Restore us, Lord. Restore us. Thank you, Lord. Someone might be thinking, I've done too much. I've said too much. I've sinned too much. I don't believe God will take me back. That's a lie from the devil. Don't let him deceive you. Think of that prodigal son. He said too much. He did too much. He sinned too much. But when he came to his senses, he said, I'll go to my father's house. Where the servants are living better than me. And when he came within sight, the Father was looking for him and watching for him. And he received him with open arms. Just picture you and God like that. He's receiving you with open arms. He's killing the fatted calf, he's taking you to the clothes closet, he's taking you to the jewelry box, to the shoe rack. He's reclothing you. Hallelujah. He's sitting you at his table. He'll never reject you. Never, never, never. If you think he will, the devil's got you deceived. It's a lie, and we break the power of that confession, the power of that lie right now in the name of Jesus. God will take you back. He will restore you. He will wash you. He will sanctify you. He will justify you. When you get up from this altar and God looks down on you, it'll be just as if. You never did any of those things. Just as if you never strayed. Thank you, Lord. Nobody can love like you. Nobody can forgive like you. Nobody can restore like you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah hallelujah thank you lord thank you lord I feel his presence I feel his presence he's here hallelujah he's here thank you lord he's moving up and down these aisles right now grab hold Get a piece of that garment. Grab a hold to the hem of his garment. Don't let him pass you by. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. So good. So loving. So compassionate. Can't believe that you save a wretch like us. But you did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, you see, you not only see, but you feel the hearts of your people, Lord. God, I ask you to receive their prayers right now. I ask you to grant the cry of their hearts. Restore them. Renew a right spirit within them, Lord. I know we've all strayed. We've all gone astray, Lord. Everyone in here, without exception, every one of us has gone astray. And we shouldn't be ashamed to come back to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know what you guys prayed, but whatever you prayed, if you really believed it in your heart, you're going to have it. You're going to have it. God loves you. Way more than we love him. But we are capable of loving him back. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray over these people. I thank you, Lord, that something happened, something changed in them, something snapped, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that they're not going to leave here the same way they came. I thank you, Lord, that they're going to leave here with the reality of hell etched in their minds and etched in their hearts, etched in their souls. And God, I not only want them to be assured that they're not going there, but I want them to preach Preach the word about this one who rose from the dead to their brothers and their sisters and their friends and their relatives, Lord. They might not believe one that was rose from that rose from the dead, but God, they might believe your word. They might believe the gospel. But we'll never know unless we preach it. That we'll never know unless we share it with them, God. So Lord, give us all the boldness to speak your word. The boldness to witness to that lost person that one that's crying out for you but don't know how to reach you lord let us be the one that shows them the way hallelujah we thank you and we praise you for it in jesus mighty name and everybody said amen and amen